All right, well, good morning. Check one, two, one, two, good morning. Oh, thank you. Uh, our Kidmen team, I am, I am so encouraged and blessed by them. Um, a little bit of a hello, sorry. Um, it takes, there is 47 people on our ministry calendar that we rotate uh, every, every week. And so there's a lot of you that are serving uh, faithfully. I believe that every partner should be on our ministry calendar. I really do. It's just partnering with the next generation. It's partnering with what we're doing here in the, in the adult service, adult classes. So if you're a partner, I want to encourage you, man, let's, let's um, get in the ditches together. Um, there's something for everyone. It just seems like there's just so many ministry positions that are even, that we're creating, developing, and um, there's something for everyone. So hello, hello. Is that, can you take a little bit there? Hello. Sorry, I'm a kind of a soft speaker, so I know Bob's trying to help me out. All right, well, how's everyone doing? Everyone doing okay? I'm on a journey for straight teeth. <clears throat> so if you haven't noticed already, I've been wearing some retainers. Um, the idea is you wear these plastic retainers. They send you about 20 different retainers, and uh, you, you wear them for, for two weeks, and then you advance to the next level, and they're just slowly straightening your teeth. They're about 22 hours a day, I guess 45 minute meals, 45 minute meals, and it's uh, annoying as all get out, and as you can hear, there's a lisp in my voice. I took the top ones out because it's painful. It's just painful for me to even hear myself, so, <laughs> but like I said, I'm on a journey, and yeah, unfortunately, it's, it's a long, you can't have anything nice without pain. That's what I'm learning through it, so, <laughs> oh man. Today we're going to be talking about um, becoming good soil, about learning how to actually produce a crop for the Lord. And I don't want to, I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but basically uh, Jesus told a story. Uh, this isn't in my, on the screen or in the notes, but Jesus told a parable to people that came similar to this scenario where they would come and listen to Jesus. And Jesus would, would say, hey, you need to count the cost before you become a disciple. Because when you become a disciple... It's not just, I said a prayer, I really meant it, and I'm just waiting now for the Lord to come back so I can go to heaven. That is not what it means to be Christ-like. That's what it means to have, basically, uh, hell insurance. You know, you don't want to go to hell, so we, we say a prayer, we really mean it, and we, you know, give in the offering, etc. All of those things are great, but it's much more than simply, um, simply those, those things. And so Jesus said, you know, Consider a man that wanted to, to build a building, and he started building it, and he got halfway through and realized, man, I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough money. So, you know, people come by, and they're like, wow, that guy didn't have enough money to finish that, that building. And imagine after 30, 40, 50 years, the man's like, man, I should really finish that project. You know, like he has land out there, a nice cement slab, foundation set, maybe even a couple of the walls are up. Probably the walls are rotted out by now because he didn't have enough money to finish the project. And I think that um, today's message is really going to talk about um, some practical things that we can do to make sure that we're staying uh, that that we're staying active and learning how to actually become soil Christians that can produce um, that establish the kingdom in Huron, in your families, in your workplaces. And so it's it's I, this will be a kind of a message. But I'm going to just pray really quick. And just ask God to, just ask the Lord to help, help me share what's on his heart. So Father God, I love you. You're a good father. You've never treated me as my sins deserve. God, as our pastor just said, at my worst is when you preferred me. It's when you said, let there be John. And you created me because you like me and you love me. And that's the same for everyone in the room, God. So I just pray that you convince our body, soul, and spirit that you're good and that you want to be with us. Lord, I just pray that you renew interest within us, God. God, we, we, our spirit is willing this morning. It's very willing, especially when there's other Christians around, but when we're alone, it's, the flesh is just so, so uh, weak. We want to do what's right, but it's hard, Father. So we just, just ask for um, just endurance, God, today to be able to renew that interest that we once had when we first came to know you. And I also just pray, God, as you told us, would you establish your kingdom on earth just as it is in heaven this morning and every single one of us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. We're going to be talking about producing crops. And, uh, and every single one of us, the illustration today is every single one of us has a soil in our hearts for receiving all things regarding the kingdom of God. And based on your soil will, de- will determine how much you actually produce. And so it's a, it's a very common one, a uh, common parable that Jesus told. One thing that we have to understand when we, when, we're, when we think about Jesus and church and Christian life and everything, one of the most fundamental things that we have to understand is that, uh, that every single human being on the planet, God created for heaven. Because if you don't understand that, there, there's always going to be a reason why we either withdraw from people, get offended at people, treat people as they deserve. Every single human being on the planet was created for heaven. God loves us so much that he allows us to choose heaven or to choose hell. It's, it's our choice. That's how much he loves us. Love can't be realized outside of choices. If he programmed you to always obey him, to always do what's right, if he, if he just kind of waved his hand in front of your face and you started doing everything perfectly and you never messed up, that wouldn't be love. You'd be a robot. Love is realized when you have a choice to love him freely. God isn't going to magically show up one day and say, hey, follow me. Right now, he's offering you a choice. And so, Jesus starts off by telling about the, this parable about a farmer who goes out to, to plant some seeds. And he reaches in his bag and he casts some seed out. And he sees, throws the seed out to the field. Some seeds fall on the path. The path is the area where a lot of people are walking and so naturally, those are exposed to the elements, and eventually, some birds come by, take the seed, fly away, and it never produces. It never produces a shoot. It never goes down into the soil. Then Jesus talked about how he, that, that same farmer took another handful and he cast some more seed, and some seeds fell on stony grounds. In the stony ground, there was it was some nice rich soil. And so the, the, the roots actually shot down quickly and you saw a plant right away. But because the ground was so shallow and after a few hot days, the sun scorched that plant and the plant died. There were some more seeds that fell among thorns and those, those plants, they, were, they, they received the same, the same dirt, but when they grew down along with thorns, the thorns actually began to choke out some of those, that tender plant that was growing. And then finally, Jesus says, the last one, the last type of seeds went and it was, and it was thrown out into soft ground, fertile ground. And, and those seeds, when they went into the ground, the roots went deep and, and the fruit that was developed on them, some of, some of them were 30, 60, and 100 times the amount that was originally planted. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear let him hear. Jesus is telling a story about what it looks like when the kingdom of God is at work in the life of a true believer. And so I'm going to just, we're going to break this down. I'm going to just read it once, um, the interpretation. Jesus sometimes would share a parable as a riddle. Sometimes he would just say something and people are like, I am so not following you. Like, I'm confused. But Jesus sometimes would share it. But we get the privilege of Jesus actually explaining it word for word for us what this means. So in Matthew chapter 13, feel free to open up your pew Bible or a phone. I'm reading from the New Living Translation um, today. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 19 through 23 says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. 
And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produced a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much that has been planted. Jesus wants every single one of us to experience his kingdom on earth. That's why he says, when you pray, pray, may your kingdom come on earth, just as it is in heaven. He, he, he likes the idea of us being with him forever in a place called heaven, but he really likes the idea of people who have free will, who have trials, who have struggles, who have issues in their own life, who have this, this war that they're in with sin, and these individuals have free choice, able to offer up a union between heaven and earth, this co-laboring effect of the kingdom of God. There's so much joy in God's heart when, when we establish a union with him. So a king, the kingdom of God is kind of, a, it's kind of like a, a vague concept. So I'm gonna have um, the tech team play that first video. Churches are full of people. The broken, the lonely, the wanderers, the hopeful, the enthusiastic, the lost, the passionate, and the faithful. For many, this gathering represents the whole of their church experience. They'll listen attentively to a message, they'll sing a few songs, they'll be invited to pray, and then they'll return to their lives. But for some, questions will start bubbling to the surface of their faith. Is this the extent of what Jesus intended for his followers? Who is the church for? Why does the world need the church, and what is the church after all? Well, the church isn't the building where people attend weekly services. It's not a program, a list of rules, or a philosophy. The church isn't a political affiliation, a country club, or a holiday tradition. The church was never intended to be just an assembly of people wearing nice clothes and saying nice things. The church is all the followers of Jesus everywhere. The Greek word for church is the word ekklesia. It's the combination of two words, ek, which means out, and kaleo, meaning called. Thus, the church, the ecclesia, means the called out ones. In other words, the church, the collective body of all the followers of Jesus everywhere, is called out by someone for something, for a purpose. The beginning of the book of Acts has Jesus calling his disciples to a task, bringing something called the gospel, the good news, to all the world. And this gospel would go out to all the outsiders, the forgotten, the abandoned, and the excluded. And they, those outsiders, would see and receive that good news as actually good. When Jesus talked about the gospel, it was always in conjunction with something else, something called the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, God's purposes are made apparent. There's justice and righteousness. There's hope for the poor and for the oppressed. And under the kingdom of God, mercy and forgiveness take precedence over bitterness and resentment. Now, people previously deemed to be far from God are brought into his family, adopted as his sons and daughters. And the fullness of the kingdom of God, according to Jesus, is not merely expressed as a way for people to escape an evil world when they die. Rather, the good news of God's kingdom is about the announcement of God's eternity moving into the present world and carrying on into the life to come. The people who belong to Jesus join him in his worldwide restoration project. And the called out ones, the church, are committed to advancing this good news of God's kingdom into the world. Not as a means of helping people avoid the world, but rather to see God's kingdom life being made real here and now. The whole church with the power of the whole gospel for the whole world. So that's kind of a a brief introduction to the kingdom of God. We're going to watch one more a little bit later but it's just this idea, the kingdom of God is a massive concept. It's not just like heaven. It's actually the Holy Spirit in his entirety living inside of you. He wants the kingdom of God to fill the earth, on earth, just as it is in heaven. God could snap his fingers if he wanted to, but he, he prefers his children establishing his kingdom by choice. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. So let's just, um, let's go back to verse 19. This is the very first thing that Jesus says about the, the first type of soil. It says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted 
in their hearts. So who are the people that don't understand it? When Jesus said at the end of this parable, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. How many people had ears? Probably everybody. So I don't think he's talking about natural, just, just natural understanding. I don't think he's just saying, it. yeah, I, I heard what you have to say, but I don't understand it intellectually. I think many of us can understand the gospel. And have you ever asked yourself, like, why doesn't everyone get saved if it's such good news? Like, why, why doesn't every single person on the planet get saved? And it really comes down to one issue, and it's, it's a pride issue. It's an issue of wanting to be in control. And so people who don't understand it aren't people that don't intellectually understand it. It's people who don't want to understand it, people that don't want to apply it. They don't really have any interest in thinking about it. It's just kind of like, it's there, you've given it to me, but eventually those concepts that just remain kind of idle, the enemy will just replace it with something else. Just take it away. So in order for, the, the, the opposite obviously here of pride is, is humility. Like if you want to be someone who understands the kingdom, if you want to be someone who has good soil, you know what you have to do? You have to be humble. I have to be humble. I have to say, Lord, I don't really understand, but I'm not willing to stay here. Jesus said, seek my kingdom first. Even like the couple verses before that, he was saying, you know what pagans think about? Pagans and and unchristian people think about, man, what am I gonna wear? What am I gonna eat? What am I gonna, and he's like, that's what they think about. That's what worldly-minded people think about. He says, seek first the kingdom. And all those things will be taken care of. So I think it's probably really important that we understand or at least commit ourselves to think about the kingdom of God. Because if we're not, basically what we're doing is we're adding the kingdom to our lives. And that's, it's the reverse of what the Lord actually said. He said, unless you hate your family, unless you hate your spouse, unless you hate your children, in comparison to your love for me, you're not worthy to be called a disciple. And when I read that, that challenges me. I'm like, I don't know if I'm there yet. But it's not about works. It's about your heart. Are you positioned to love the Lord? And so, so when we say humility, what am I, what am I talking about? Some, some practical things uh, for, for us to think about. If you have a job interview and you're getting ready to go before your employer and he sits you down and he starts asking you questions about your strengths, your weaknesses, how you can help build the team at whatever business you're at. But he, he leaves the door open. He takes phone calls during the interview. He gets up and goes and checks the ball game, then comes back, oh, sorry, where were we? And, and he treats you like you're common. Like, this isn't really a real interview. This is just kind of like, I mean, I appreciate you coming in. And sometimes this is what we do to the Lord. Sometimes we treat the Lord as if he's common, as if he's not the most important lover, father, God in the universe. We treat him like he's common. And so sometimes we'll get up in the morning and we'll be like, oh, I'm on my phone, you know, I got my Bible app out. Oh, got a notification. Oh, let's check out Facebook, you know. Then we're like, oh, uh, let's check out something else. Or, you know, Say in the morning, you know, there's a, there's a time when you, you set some time aside for the Lord and on, uh, let's say you fast normally on, on Tuesdays or Wednesdays and someone's like, hey, you want to come over and eat? And it's just so easy to come up with a biblical reason to replace that time that we've set aside for the Lord for something of maybe lesser value. This isn't a, a, a slap on the wrist. This is a if we're just honest with, with ourselves, sometimes we treat the Lord like he's very common. And he's not. He is, he is the one that we're to revere the most, to behold the most. And when you turn your affection towards him, you turn your heart towards him, eventually you're gonna become like him. But the half-hearted, the, yeah, I mean, I wanna be someone who, who he knows that I am all in in our relationship together. I don't know about you, but that, I want there to be a closeness between us, that when, that when we've set time aside, that he knows that I'm serious. 
And so one of the first things that I would encourage you to do, every single one of us has a calendar. Clear your schedule for an hour this week at some point and actually put it on your calendar. Just say, time with God. No one's touching it. Don't be legalistic here. <laughs> if you fall off, you have an accident yet, like the Lord understands. But how much in a, in a time-driven society where everything is to the minute, how much would a sacrifice of your time be valuable to the Lord? I mean, it would be so precious to him because he's like, wow, the United States, time-driven. What has he given me? Time. It's, it's an offering to the Lord. So I just want to, that's one practical thing you can do. Put it on your calendar. Say, this hour, Lord, this week is yours. And for the real spiritual people, do it every, every day. Don't touch, don't touch that hour between me and the Lord. Clearing our schedule says so much to people. When you're out on a date with your spouse, I want to be with my wife. I love all of you, and if I bump into you, we'll talk, we'll joke, but at the end of the day, I want to be on that date with my wife. It's the same concept, just honoring and, and, and being with him. So you have to humble yourself. That's the second thing you got to do is you actually have to, um, like if you, let's say you've kind of drifted off, you've kind of wandered off, um, just humble yourself and say, Lord, I've drifted off. My heart's not where it used to be. I'm kind of doing my own thing. So it's all about humility. It's just saying, God, would you please renew interest in me? We think that, we think that if like miracles would happen, like, like crazy miracles would happen, that it would renew an interest in us to get serious about our faith. But let's read about what happened when, in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus was actually doing a, a, a miracle um, for healing, okay? So there's this guy in the temple. He has a shriveled up hand, like, for his entire life. He's like this. Every single day, he's probably ashamed of it because it's shriveled up. And Jesus goes into the temple, and he tells the man, extend your hand. So he extends his hand, and all of the leaders and all of the people that were watching there gave praise to God, and everyone got saved that day. That's not true. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 13 says, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored, just like the other one. Perfect healing. The next verse. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. Seeing miracles does not produce revival. It does not produce renewed interest in you. Renewed interest is a choice and it starts in humility. If you're not humbling yourself, you will never receive the renewed interest that you want because God's not gonna violate your free will. He's not gonna say, have renewed interest. It's a choice. And God always gives grace to those who are humble and he always resists the proud. That's why it's so important that we sit at his feet and become like him. So let's read about the second uh, soil type. The seed, verse 20 says, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long, they fall away as soon as there, there are problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The two, the two um, practical things in order to um, produce endurance in your life, two practical things that we need to think about are um, we have to settle the matter in our heart right now that God is good and he's faithful, and we have to trust him. You have to settle that in your heart. What we tend to do as Christians is, if everything's going good in my life, then I'll keep being a Christian. But if people around me are dying, I'm getting sick, bad reports, I don't have money in the bank, then we start to think, well, God's not really faithful. God's not really good. God's not really a healer. And so James actually describes that person as someone who's back and forth. They determine God's goodness by the, the, the circumstances around them. But he says, choose this day whom you're going to serve. Establish it and don't go back on it. It's a marriage relationship. You don't get married to someone and then like you get into it and you're like, ah, I don't really know. So you move on, find someone else. You're like, yeah, I don't really know. I don't think, that's not God's idea of marriage. God's idea of marriage is you find someone and you're with them and you stay in a covenant relationship. That's God's perfect idea of marriage. <clears throat> The reality is, is that the Lord 
the Lord knows where you're at, every thought that you're having, every dream that you're having. He knows the emotions that you have, and they're all, they're all realized by him. He's not, he's not taken back. Like Sometimes we really feel like, God, if you only knew. God, if you were only there. God, if he is fully aware, constantly. He's a good father, does not violate our free will, but he wants us to, to lean in, to trust him. And so, but the first thing you gotta do is you have to establish God is trustworthy, he is good, and don't ever go back on that. That's one thing, don't ever go back on it because you become very left or right, I don't know, just like a wave being tossed by the ocean. Whatever, whatever your feelings, wherever your feelings are, that's how you feel about God. God is good, God is faithful, and it can be fully realized and realized fully at the cross. If you look at the cross and what he's done for us, it's fully realized right there. He owes us nothing. Your soul, if it's in Christ perfectly well, you will live forever and ever and ever. And in today, it starts today. Your soul can be well with him. So the, the next thing, I'm gonna read verse 22. It says, the seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. James chapter one, verse 27 says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from, by the world. In Matthew 25, 36, Jesus is talking about the end of time and he's telling everyone, he's telling um, the, the people that he's, he's judging, he's saying, I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick, Jesus is saying, I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you something to drink? When were you a stranger and you needed hospitality? When were you naked and, and we gave you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will say, Jesus will say to us someday, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. <clears throat> I, th I think that fighting worrying and wealth, worrying and wealth, in order to fight worrying well, worrying is essentially putting your faith in fear. It's essentially putting trust in something that seems real, but it's not necessarily true. And, and, and worrying is actually a command from the Lord to not do. So, so one thing that I do when I'm worrying, if I'm in a place of just kind of like torment or anxiety or whatever, is I, I'll start fasting. Because what fasting actually does is it gets you to a place where you're actually repenting. Fasting gets your eyes to see from his perspective. We've used the illustration of where, you know, like there's a penthouse and that's on the top floor and that's where the Lord sees from constantly. And so when you repent, you're actually coming up to his level, up to his floor and saying, I see now, I don't have to worry. It's not the absence of, of storms. Peace isn't the absence of storms. It's the denial of their influence. So you get a bad report from the doctor. You get a bad sudden report from a family member who's sick or, or even yourself. It's not that storms aren't around you. It's that you don't let them speak to your soul. It, they're not going to influence your, like, you start losing sleep over it. Worry has such a negative influence practically over our body. When we start worrying, it's amazing what the mind can do to us. It can produce rashes. It can produce us to have terrible migraines and, and stomach ulcers. Worrying does a lot of bad things. No wonder why God said don't worry. Not because he likes to give us rules so that he can be the one in control. He actually knows the way that we're created and he knows what's gonna make us feel healthy and, and be healthy. So fasting is a great way to kind of lift your eyes off of worrying. And the lure of wealth, um, which is really interesting, but the lure of wealth, the way that I see it is, is that, you know, I, I can't remember the, the coach who said it, but if you want to be happy for a day, eat a steak. You know, if, or if you want to be happy for an hour, eat a steak. You know, if you want to be happy for a, a day, play golf. If you want to be happy for a week, um, go on a cruise. If you want to be happy for a month, buy a new car. But if you want to be happy for a lifetime, ask yourself, who will miss you when you're gone and live from that place? Because relationships matter. 
They really matter. The relationships around you, those are the only things that we're taking with us to heaven. The person that you dislike might be your neighbor in heaven forever and ever and ever. And so it's important that we're investing into relationships now, that we're restoring issues that we have. If you have an issue with someone, when I have issues with someone, it's always because I've forgotten how much the Lord has forgiven me. If, if we could just have that, live from that revelation, like, wow, that's what the Lord did for me. How could I ever be offended or hurt by someone else? Like, I refuse because of the great debt that the Lord has cleared on my life. So what am I, what am I saying is, if you wanna fight the lure for wealth, you gotta realize happiness comes in all those little places, but true happiness is found in the Lord and through relationships with others. Start strengthening your relationships. You know, um, there are literally hundreds of ways in our culture how to connect with people. If you wanna connect with the younger generation, if you wanna connect with the kids, if you wanna connect with adults, there's something for everyone. So let's make sure that we're not using excuses to not connect because, well, they probably just don't wanna connect with me. They don't wanna talk with me. Every single one of us can do a better job at trying to connect with the person sitting next to us or across from us. And I wanna encourage you guys, House of Prayer every Tuesday at 6.30, that's one of the best ways how to connect with a believer. Because at that time, I'm gonna tell you everything that's going on in my soul. I'm, I'm, I will show you my broken side and how you can believe with me and carry my weight and I'll carry yours and we'll do life together. House of Prayer is a great way how to build relationships. And that's not so we get more people in the room. All we need is two. So we got that. We've had that for, for years. But I'm, I'm encouraging you to come to build relationships against the lure of wealth so that you can be a soil that when the seed, the kingdom idea goes into you, it's producing something. God's goal for us is not for us to get cleaned up, die, and go to heaven. God's goal is to get the kingdom so inside of us that we start influencing those around us the same exact way that Jesus would so that when someone comes up to you, they're experiencing the person, Jesus. They're experiencing him. If Jesus were in your shoes, what would he, what would he be doing? That's what I mean, to that level. And we can't, we can't get there because we see miracles. We can't get there because we have a, a good uh, time at the altar. We can't get there because we gave a million dollars in the offering. We get there from a daily choice of humility that says, God, your way is right, and I yield to your thoughts and to your plans. Your kingdom come first, my kingdom come second. I wanna show a second video quick about the kingdom of God. This better illustrates what, what I'm talking about, releasing the kingdom. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here, there's trees, rivers, mountains, but my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world 
apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. So this is a kind of a, a brainy way to, for us to understand what the kingdom of God is. It's both worlds coming together. It's God's reign being established on the earth. And the last the last verse that we're going to look at is in, back in verse 23. It says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. When God told the story about 
of the man who delegated talents uh, to his servants. He was expecting them to work hard and multiply those talents so that when he came back, he would, inc- he would have an increase, that there would be multiplication to what he gave to them. And every single one of this, if you have been, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that the down payment of eternity with the Lord is actually the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit was given to you and he lives inside of you right now. You're like, is he in there? Because I don't, I don't think he's in there. <laughs> but he is. He's actually, you're taber- tabernacling him around so that when you go into your family, into your workplace, into your school, you're actually tabernacling the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you let Holy Spirit out? Nations, cities, people are restored back to him. And, and that's why I think that it's so important that we understand that we need to, we have to release the kingdom. We have, we have to position ourselves to establish his kingdom. And how do we do that? Well, we've, we've talked about how we have to clear our schedules. You have to clear your schedule if you're here. You have to ask God, humble yourself. Maybe you're distant from God this morning. You feel like there's just been some things that you've allowed into your body, into your temple that shouldn't be there. Maybe it's movies, maybe it's language, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's porn, maybe whatever it is, there's a lot out there that can influence your temple. One I didn't cover is reading the Bible and praying every day. The biggest reason for that, the Bible is a love letter about you and about God. If you don't understand what's in God's heart, you will live by your feelings. You will feel like God is mad at you 90% of your life if you're not in the Bible, okay? And when we pray, what praying does is actually, back in the day, 20, 30 years ago, there was was times at the altar. And all that that time was, essentially, was people turning their affection towards God. It was just people saying, time's ticking, but I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere until you and I have a conversation, That's what prayer needs to look like. The altar time needs to be prayer every single day. Because when you encounter God, everything changes around you. It doesn't take three hours to encounter God sometimes. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes five minutes. Sometimes it takes an hour. But be willing to, to talk to him. Turn your heart towards him. He wants to be in relationship with you. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is to actually... Close your eyes and imagine him in, sitting next to you. Because if, if you're not imagining him, if you're just kind of throwing up wishes, I, hey, I hope he gets these voicemail prayers I'm sending up when you get back to me. You know, sometimes there's so much disconnect. And, and when you go out and you're on a date with your wife or your spouse and you're texting on the phone, she's texting, you're the, both there, but you're just, you're not engaged Every one of us can sense that. And so that's why I'm saying that it's so important for us when we're with the Lord um, to actually be with him. Settle the matter in your heart. Trust him. He's trustworthy. It's settled on the cross. If you don't believe it, study the cross. It will prove to you over and over again that he's good and he's faithful. Embrace trials as faith workouts. We didn't cover this one, but if you don't understand how to go through a trial or a go through um, disappointment, discouragement. Read James chapter one. We gotta consider it joy when we go through those things. Why? Because faith cannot develop in your life outside of trials. Faith cannot develop. And the, the just shall live by faith. If you are a Christian, that is actually what we're living by is faith. You, your faith can't become stronger unless there is a decision to either do what's right biblically or do what your feelings say unbiblically, essentially. So that, then the, obviously the next thing that we were talking about is fasting. If you want to protect yourself against the worries of life, come back up to God's level. Fast. Fast a meal. Fast a day. Fast a week. Some, some of you can fast 40 days. Have that grace. Fast 40 days. Come back to God's level. It's going to give you his vision for the way that he sees your circumstance. And the last thing is, is um, embrace people. Don't push them away. Get open and honest with someone. If you don't have someone in your life right now, 
that you can, you can talk, tell everything to, even your sin issues, uh, your goals, um, when you're disappointed. Like, if you don't have someone in your life, find somebody in your life. You have no idea how much that will enhance your Christian experience because that's, God died for people, not so that we can do church by ourselves. So there's a million different ways. Go to prayer, download apps, whatever you gotta do, embrace people and get real. Don't just talk about barbecues, sports, and the weather. Talk about real things. We're Christians. Let's talk about our creator, the Lord, how good he has been to us and celebrate him. Let's talk about real things, guys. We have to. And the last thing is we have to share the kingdom every single day. Just like that video showed, wherever you're at, we gotta stop praying the prayer. God, get me out of this job. God, get me out of this marriage. God, get me out of this. God, change. No, he's like, I wanna establish my kingdom, but I'm going to use you to do it. That's the truth. And, and so God, that's my prayers. God, would you use me to establish your kingdom at 517 Colorado Avenue? Would you use me to establish your kingdom here at 920 Lincoln, down at the bus barn, when I'm in the marketplace, when I'm around city leaders, district leaders, would you establish your kingdom through me? Would they experience your son? Every one of us wants to be the good soil, and every one of us would probably say we are the good soil. But this isn't, a, this isn't just talking about saved people versus unsaved people. There's a lot of people in that circle around Jesus that thought they were Christians, they were saved, that they were good between God and them. Jesus is saying, identify your soil type. Identify where you're at. And so what I want to do, um, what I want to do for the last just couple minutes, I, I, if you can just go ahead and throw on some soft music right away. What I want to do is step number one. Kind of gets you through the door and you can think back through some of these um, steps that we, we talked about to guard your heart against not being the right soil type to receive the kingdom of God in our lives so that we can produce. Step number one is all about humility. It's clearing your schedule. It's, make, it's being determined right now that you're gonna make a decision to follow Christ this week or today even yet. And what I wanna do is I want you to ask God to renew the interest of God's kingdom again in your own life. Every single one of us has a plan for after in just two minutes, every single one of us. And, and God loves to go with you into your, into your life. He loves that. But he also wants us to be very mindful about what's he doing right now. Jesus is in the room and he wants to know, are you gonna be people that understand, hear it, truly hear it and truly understand? Or are we gonna be just people that have ears to hear, but we don't really understand? Or the opposite, or maybe we're just people that tomorrow, the next day, next month, God will not zap you. Every decision of the kingdom in your life is a choice. It's your agreement with his grace, heaven and earth coming together. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's trying to say this morning. So I want you to take two minutes and I just want you, you can leave after the two minutes after, but I, I want to take two minutes and actually connect with God's heart and ask him specifically to renew the interest of God's kingdom in your own life. Thank you so much for being here this morning. And God is just so excited that you're on the planet. He knows that the kingdom is coming out of you and he, and he knows that you love him. So Father God, I just thank you for what you're doing inside of us. And Lord, I just pray that you renew the interest in me. Would you please renew it in me, God? It's just, I, I, I'm doing so well sometimes and then I fall away. God, I wanna stay soft soil. I don't want worries and anxieties. I don't want the, 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 the lures of wealth. I don't want those things to choke me out. I don't even want apathy, the lack of understanding, God. I want your kingdom. So just take one more minute. Just talk to the Lord yourself.
God, I just pray that you help us this week, God, to prioritize you again, to think about you more than we do, to talk about you, God, and to have real conversations starting today. Help us to just clear our schedules and bring you a sacrifice of time. Help us to make that choice today. And Lord, we thank you that you allow us to even have free will. Thank you that you're not trying to override us, but you're giving us a choice. Help us to yield. In Jesus' name, amen. So much fun to hang out with you guys. Thanks for the honor to just speak to you what God's put on my heart about uh, becoming good soil. Obviously, when I'm preparing and, and talking, it's easy for me to talk at you, but I'm, I'm, as I was preparing this lesson, I'm just like, Lord, I have to be the most unworthy person to deliver this message because it's just so, it's so hard to do sometimes, so difficult to keep these things into perspective. But if there's one thing that you take away, take away, seek his kingdom first and everything will be added to you. So God bless you guys. Have, I hope you have a great, great weekend.